will love that. Download our app today and enjoy tackle-busting benefits with great odds, more markets, and same-game multi every NRL match at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Welcome everyone to episode 414 of Fergun Freak. I'm your host, the Glorious League Freak, and I don't think anybody saw that result coming up in State of Origin 2. Uh, we're going to talk about that together, and then we're going to talk about the test matches that were played over the weekend, and then I want to talk a little bit about the conversation between NRL, State of Origin, and international football, and why it's okay to like all of them and want all of them to grow. Now... First of all, New South Wales has run out with a gigantic scoreline over Queensland, 44 points to 12 over there in Perth. Uh, It was a sellout crowd there in Perth. Absolutely amazing to see if you're a New South Wales supporter, not so much if you're a Queensland supporter. Um, Early on in this game, Queensland looked the far more composed of the two teams. They looked really relaxed. Uh, New South Wales looked very frantic, and I didn't like what I was seeing out of them. Um, Their attack was all over the place. Tedesco was playing really, really poorly. Nathan Cleary wasn't taking control of the game like he he normally does for the Penrith Panthers, and there were just a lot of warning signs. Having said that, they were moving Queensland all over the park. They were making the Queensland forward pack really move around a lot, And that's one of the keys. When you're in a a match like a State of Origin game where everyone's an elite player, everyone's got the stamina to play 80 minutes, it doesn't matter who they are, even the props can play 80 minutes if you ask them to, you've got to wear the opposition down. And that's probably one of the things New South Wales were doing well in that first probably half an hour of the game. They weren't playing great, but they were making Queensland really work on the defensive side of things. Um... The big turning point, though, come just before half time. Really, Junior Paulo made a really good run towards the Queensland line. He barreled over the top of Kalen Ponga. It's amazing that Ponga didn't just get knocked out because he absolutely steamrolled him. Uh, almost got to the line, and then there was sin binning. Kafusi went to the sin bin. Now there had been a bunch of. Uh, six again calls leading up to that moment. There must have been four or five of them leading up to that moment. And eventually, Ashley Klein had had enough and he sent them to the bin. Now, Queensland were upset because they said that they were for different things. There was an offside penalty. There was, I think there was a not standing square at the ruck penalty. They were getting smashed by Klein for a good couple of minutes there before the sin binning. But Klein had had enough and he sent him off. And that was really the turning point in the game. It was like the the straw that broke the camel's back for Queensland. And they just never really recovered from it. Between that and New South Wales playing much better in the second half, which is pretty easy to do when part of it you're only playing against 12 dudes. Um, You know, there were different things that I saw in that second half. Cleary started to take a little bit more bit more control over what was going on i think the penrith connection and look there were so many uh, penrith panthers players picked and that's a lot of peas hey uh picked in this new south wales team that it's very easy to say the panthers connection because they're all over the friggin side but it was 
the sort of play between Coruscant and Luai and Cleary and Yo, and you just like Burton was coming into it, Crichton was coming into it. Just these club combinations were really, really starting to come to the forefront. And between that and Tedesco playing a lot better, uh, New South Wales really started to get on the roll. And their forward pack played better as well. But they were playing against a, a much more tired, much more worn out Queensland pack because of what they'd done in the first half. So it was a, it ended up being an absolute smashing. When you saw Cleary start to run the ball in the second half, and he's such a good ball runner. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a halfback that knows... When he decides to run the ball and he really goes for it, he is very, very hard to stop. I've never seen a ball runner like him as a halfback, and we've seen some really good ball runners at halfback. So that was an interesting part of the game. One of the things I was really paying attention to, especially in the second half, because Cleary had had another poor first half, was the way that Cleary was controlling the team. Now, we did it a little bit better in the second half, but he's still not controlling this team like he does the Panthers, where he controls everything for the Panthers. He tells everyone where he wants them to be. He doesn't do that as much for New South Wales, and I think he needs to. I think one of the things that put it, puts him off is the way that Tedesco is so dominant in his calls to get the ball. Now, that's not a criticism of Tedesco. Tedesco is a great player. You want him to have the ball as much as possible. But I think that it's something that Cleary normally doesn't have to deal with as a player. And I think he ne- it needs to be something he really becomes more comfortable with. Now, I think he did in the second half, but I still want to see him become more dominant with the play calling, telling his team where he wants them to be. And part of me thinks that that comes down to coaching with Brad Fittler. Um, If I'm Fittler, I need to work this part of it out because this part of it is what will be the key for New South Wales for maybe the next decade. You know, we know that Cleary is going to be the New South Wales halfback unless somebody comes along that is just like an Andrew Johns level halfback. Like that's what it would take. So this is something New South Wales needs to work out. I would personally hand the keys of the car over to Nathan Cleary because we know he can get the job done. And I think that a player like Tedesco, you could put him in any team. It doesn't matter how dominant the play callers are. He's going to make things happen. I think for Tedesco, he needs to start picking and choosing a little bit more when he asks for the ball. Because I thought in the first half, he may be called for the ball a little bit too much. And when he isn't able to get it done in those circumstances, it kind of bogs down the attack, makes it all very, very scrappy. Now, as I said, this isn't criticism of either player. I think it's just two great players that have to work with one another and work out what they've got to work with one another. Um, It's a nice problem to have, really. So... Yeah, that was something that stood out for me. Um, As for the result going into Game 3, I don't think that you can look at it and say New South Wales are that much better of a team than Queensland. I think that this is just one of those games that went against Queensland. Queensland really didn't do anything in that second half, um, which was unfortunate for them. But, 
yeah, it, it's. I think it's one of those ones where Queensland will forget that game, and I think New South Wales, to a certain extent, have to forget that game as well because um, this third game is going to be a different beast altogether. Although, if I was New South Wales, I would keep the same lineup. I think that uh, unless you get somebody like a Latrell Mitchell that's coming into the side, you know, and, and I'd probably put him in for Burton. Uh, Burton didn't do anything wrong. Burton was actually really good, and he added a lot of playmaking out wide, which was really cool. He also added a, another kicker. They used him a lot as a kicker in this game, which was really interesting, and he added a different point of attack, but it would be somebody like Latrell Mitchell, who, look, he hasn't played much football, but if for whatever reason he got a game under his belt for South, he looked a million dollars, he tore it up in that game, I probably would go with Mitchell just because Mitchell's a superstar, you know, and, and you need those players in the big games. But outside of that, I wouldn't make any changes. For Queensland, I don't think they've got to make any real changes either. I think that this is going to be one of those game threes where unless there's a a, a real bad injury for either team, I just think that we could see the same lineups coming in. But we'll wait and see on that one. Um, either way, I've, look, I thought it was a really good game, but I'm a New South Wales supporter. We saw very little out of Queensland in this match, unfortunately. Um, and sometimes these state of origin games go that way where, you know, one team just, they get on the back foot a bit and that's it. It's all over. And I think that that's what happens when you get so many elite players on the field. They get a little bit of an edge and they just don't let up. And, uh, Look, that's state of origin footy. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but that's how it works. In the other games that we saw over the weekend, the New South Wales women's state of origin side beat the Queensland women's state of origin team 20 points to 14. Unfortunately, I didn't see this game. I heard it was a re another really good uh, women's state of origin game. And there were calls for people saying it should be three-game series. Now, I used to call for it to be a three-game series as well. But apparently, it can be a little bit um, a little bit more taxing for the women's players to play three games unless you really break them up quite a bit. And so it, they need a little bit more recovery time from the men the male players, which is something I would never have thought of, hey, but it kind of makes sense when you think about it. Um, I think it would be cool to have three State of Origin games, but because the women's season is so short, it's not like you can break up the women's NRL season and, and have a few weeks in between. And, and it's a lot to ask of the female players as well to play these. I mean, these games are brutal. you just got to watch these games and... And you see that the women's players are, are really, really, like, it's crazy. It's the best sport you can watch. It's the best women's sport you can watch is women's rugby league. They go at it. There's so much skill. Um, I think for now, one game is not too bad because you've got to remember that we're going to get back to a schedule where we're playing New Zealand a lot more and, and we've got, you know, Tonga and and. PNG and uh, teams like that that we can play on a regular basis now that the whole COVID thing's over with. Um, so I, I think that that needs to be a bit more of a focus for the women's game. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was good to hear that it was a good contest. It was good to see New South Wales won. 
the New South Wales clean sweep this weekend, just saying. Um, so that was interesting. Now, the other test matches I mentioned in the lead up to uh, during the week, Lebanon beat Malta 30-4. to I heard that was a poor game. New Zealand played Tonga. I watched this game. Interesting game. I thought that I, I was surprised by the scoreline. Uh, New South, uh, sorry, New Zealand looked really, really, really good. They looked like a team that um, had a lot more time together than they actually did. And I think that that's a really good sign when you look towards the World Cup because one of the things for the Kiwis is sometimes they come into a camp and they just don't get it together. That this New Zealand team, and it's a veteran team, there's a lot of winners in this team, that this New Zealand team was able to gel so quickly and look so good against such a good opposition, it's a great sign for the World Cup. Uh, you know, 20 points to 6 to New Zealand. The scoreline probably flatters New Zealand a little bit. Tonga wasn't that bad. It was just that New Zealand was so good. Um the thing about Tonga I was impressed with is that unlike what you would have seen maybe eight to ten years ago where a team like Tonga would have fallen apart and they would have had 40 or 50 put on them by New Zealand, they didn't. They really took the game to New Zealand. It's just New Zealand's defense was fantastic. Their attack was fan- Like, they were just great across the park. Um, Joseph Manu, I think I saw that he ran for something ridiculous like... Here we go. He ran for 400 metres. How unbelievable is that? Uh, Manu is going to be interesting when he gets to the World Cup because all I was thinking watching Manu was that, you know, opposition teams, especially from the Northern Hemisphere, are going to look at him and say, well, New Zealand have a centre playing at fullback. That's not very good for them. And they'll have no idea that this guy's one of the best fullbacks in the game. He's a million-dollar fullback in rugby league. I can't believe another team hasn't gone to him and said, look, dude, turn down 1.2 million bucks a year to come to our club. That's what I would do if I was the Dolphins. If I was the Redcliffe Dolphins, I'd go to Joey Manu and say, hey, dude, move up to Redcliffe, play for 1.2 million bucks a year. We're ready to rock and roll. Take the money. Um, This game, it, it kind of flattered New Zealand a little bit. Not that they didn't deserve the big victory, but I just thought that Tonga was very, very good in this game. Um, the one thing I liked about them is they didn't just completely capitulate, which you've seen in the past. So, um, you know, they'll they'll be better for this run. They haven't played for a long time together, and I think they ran into a Kiwis team that was surprisingly good in this one. Now, other games during the weekend, Samoa played the Cook Islands. I didn't see a great deal of this game. I saw a lot of it early on. Uh, Samoa, they just, they were the more talented team. The Cook Islands, as always, punching above their weight. Uh, Incredible nation, the Cook Islands, how much rugby league talent they turn out for such a small place. Look, Samoa, the problem with Samoa is that they're poorly coached. And they have some issues when they come together as a squad. I don't think their outfit is as professional as, say, Tonga or New Zealand, for instance. 
and that's a real shame because Samoa should be on their level and they're just not. Um, but it was good to see them get a, a solid win, um, as they should have against the Cook Islands. Now, the last game, which I did see, was Papua New Guinea versus Fiji. Um, by the way, that Samoa score 42 points to 12. Papua New Guinea beat uh, Fiji 24 points to 14 in a really, really high-quality contest. This was a fantastic game. Great defense, great attack. It was just, it was top-notch. Really one of the best test matches you will see in rugby league. Um, I think the difference between these two teams is the PNG team, I saw a lot of the influence that they get out of playing in the Queensland Cup. And that come from their high completion rate. In the past, and once again, we go back, say, eight to ten years, you would see a team like Papua New Guinea, and they would have all of the effort, but there would be details in their game that would let them down. Drop balls, you know, poor poor decisions in, in poor field position. So, like, trying to kick out of their own end with a short kick and things like that. They've kind of got rid of some of that stuff, and now that they're playing percentages a little bit more because they've had to, because they're playing Queensland Cup teams in the Queensland Cup, you could just see that... Um, that really solid game plan is now there for them. They they are going to be really hard to beat in the World Cup. I don't care what team you are. Australia, New Zealand, Tonga, they're all going to have to really beat this team because this Fiji team was a bloody good team. And in watching this contest, all I could think of was how you, you think of the World Cup and you get to the pointy end of the World Cup You've got Australia, you've got New Zealand, you've got Tonga, you've got Fiji, and you've got Papua New Guinea. If Samoa gets it together, you've got Samoa, um, but they're probably on a level below those teams. But you've got five teams that legitimately should all be saying, we have to be a semi-finalist. We've never had that before in in the Rugby League World Cup. There's more quality teams now in rugby league and international rugby league than there has ever been before. Those five teams into four spots is not going to go. We're going to see really good teams get knocked out early on just because they're playing other good teams. And I really wouldn't be shocked if we see, like if we saw a final that ended up being like Fiji versus Tonga, I just wouldn't be shocked if it was Papua New Guinea versus New Zealand in the final. I would not be shocked. And a lot of these games are going to be like a toss of the coin game. It's going to be so cool to see that in the World Cup for really the first time ever. And the other the other thing that really struck me with these games watching them was that when you look at the quality of them and the ferocious defense and the way that these teams attack and can break each other down and their kicking games are a lot better and like the quality players that are in all of these teams now, especially around the halves. I don't think Northern Hemisphere teams have any idea what is about to hit them. You know, the the depth of talent that these teams now have is absolutely outrageous. In the past where you would have these international teams and you would say, oh, they're, you know, they're a pretty good team. They've got three or four guys that have played NRL footy in them. They've got a couple of Super League plays in them. Now you look at the team and there's players that have NRL experience that can't make the side. 
It's outrageous. And it is amazing for international football. And, man, the World Cup is going to be really cool at the end of the year. And I think we are going to see some Northern Hemisphere teams get put to the absolute sword. And it it should be a wake-up call for these teams. Because uh, I watched the England versus Combined Nations All-Stars made-up team a couple of weeks ago. And England didn't put in performances like these teams did. These teams would have absolutely destroyed that Combined Nations side 60 points, you know, easily. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens at the end of the year. Now, on to a different discussion, but it's somewhat related. When I was on Twitter and I'm watching these international games and I started seeing people shitting on state of origin football and they were saying, well, it shouldn't be the be all and end all and people shouldn't enjoy it as much and they should all be enjoying these international games and, you know, Australia shouldn't be so focused on it and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, then I saw other people that their argument was that so much focus is on state of origin football for Australia that they don't allow internationals to be played, which was weird because I was watching international football at the time. And then there were other people that were saying NRL clubs hold back international rugby league because they're so selfish and, and you know, they don't like internationals being played. And meanwhile, I'm watching these international games being played like as this is all going on and... They're full of NRL contracted players. And it got me thinking, like, I don't understand why people think we need to pick and choose what works and what doesn't. Like, State of Origin is this outrageous success for rugby league. And it kind of was when it was put into place. It used to be you played for the state you were currently playing in. It was a residency rule, and then they changed it to State of Origin rules, and its state of origin kind of just exploded. Like nobody could have seen what was coming with state of origin football. It just exploded into this series, which was just this phenomenon. And it's been great for rugby league. It's been fantastic. You know, people from overseas tune in to watch these games. They're, they must see TV. Um, and it's great. And if I had my way, every single nation would have their state of origin they'd have their domestic representative product which would be just as spectacular just as absolutely phenomenal you know we just saw new south wales play queensland in a packed out stadium in perth the other side of the continent can you imagine if you saw yorkshire versus lancashire and they were playing in london like why would that be a bad thing for rugby league in, in any capacity, if they were playing in front of Pack Stadium, Wembley Stadium, and people across the UK were tuning in in gigantic numbers to watch this game, it'd be great. I'd love for New Zealand to have some sort of domestic, you know, series. I they, They've, you know, talked about it for 20 years now. They've never done anything about it, but it would be great. I, I've been able to watch international rugby league and especially the the Pacific Islands rugby league uh, player base grow since I was a kid and a, a big boost that come out of what the NRL did and going back to the ARL but we'll call it the NRL you know the Australian national competition um, 
when they brought in the New Zealand Warriors, it helped New Zealand Rugby League very, very quickly. You know, New Zealand used to be able to throw together not too bad teams, but they were pretty disappointing a lot of the time. They would turn up every so often, but for the most part it was, you know, that they tried hard. That was one of the things about them. The thing bringing in the Warriors did was it helped their player base and it helped them have many more international players that were professionals. And that was a good thing for the game. And another thing that did was it opened up a little bit more for players from uh, Pacific Island nations to come into their, their system and then to flow into the rest of the NRL. And we look at the NRL today and look, there isn't a club that doesn't have a, a, a you know, dozen players that have Tongan backgrounds and Samoan backgrounds and Fiji, like Fijians everywhere. All the wingers should be Fijian. And I think that sometimes what people forget is that a lot of the development that happens for these test players that we've just seen play this weekend happens because of NRL clubs. Now, there's a lot of NRL clubs that spend millions of dollars on true junior development. And when I say true junior development, I mean junior rugby league. I'm not talking about buying the elite juniors and stockpiling them so that one day hopefully they become, you know, first graders. I'm talking about developing junior rugby league in their district, in their development area. Some clubs spend more than others. Uh, But for the most part, NRL clubs spend millions upon millions of dollars developing young rugby league players and rugby league in general. And we see the vast majority of the test players that we watched this weekend have been through either those development systems or NRL club developments, development systems, elite junior development systems, let's call it. That can't be overlooked. We saw these these games being played, you know, and this is really the first time for two and a bit years that we've been able to have any sort of internationals without having to worry that borders are going to close immediately. You know, it was really only six months ago we were still having to deal with closed borders and, you know, geez, the state of origin wouldn't have even been able to be played in Western Australia. They closed their borders to the rest of Australia. We're finally able to play with open borders again. And we got some international rugby league pretty quickly because of that. Um, it was enjoyed by everyone. Everyone loved it. We saw NRL contracted professional players playing at NRL stadiums. Uh, they were playing under NRL rules, which I thought was interesting. And we had, you know, NRL officials for the most part. It was very much a show that was put on. And it wouldn't have been put on if it wasn't for all of the groundwork that we've seen by the Australian Rugby League system. Now, the talent's there, the raw talent's there. And, and we've seen that Rugby League is one of those cool games where if you get an athlete very early on and they decide to choose Rugby League, they will become a, a great Rugby League player. We're very lucky with Rugby League that we really know how to develop talent. It's a fantastic part of the sport. But somebody's got to do that work, you know? And when you have elite juniors playing other elite juniors, everyone gets better because of it. 
That's why I think the under-20s competition should come back for the NRL. I think that people underestimate how much of that work ends up flowing through to international football, not just for Australia, not just for the Kiwis, but for all of these Pacific Islands nations that we're all just raving about watching. We want to watch more of it. Even when you look at a team like Papua New Guinea, they've got better since they had the Vipers come into the Queensland Cup. You know, we've got a a Fijian team that has come into the Ron Massey Cup. And the idea is that, and the Ron Massey Cup is, uh, it's below uh, New South Wales Cup level. The idea is that eventually there'll be a New South Wales Cup team. And so this development is always going on. You know, there's always this eye on trying to develop elite junior talent and trying to make, you know, nations better nations and, and a lot of it is driven by Australian Rugby League, and thank God we have it. It is a good thing we've got State of Origin, and it's a good thing we've got the NRL. And if it was up to me, everything would just get better and better. The NRL would get bigger, State of Origin would get bigger, International Rugby League would get bigger, because everywhere Rugby League grows, everywhere Rugby League gets more popular, or it becomes a bigger entity, or more people watch it, that's a good thing for the game. And if you're choosing one thing over the other, like, what are you doing? You know, how could you not like seeing a a packed stadium in Perth for a state of origin game in the same weekend that we saw a packed stadium in Auckland for a test match between New Zealand and Tonga? Even 15 years ago, if somebody had said that to you, you'd be like, there's no way. That's that's science fiction stuff for rugby league. That's not going to happen. And yet here we are. Everything that grows is good for rugby league. Every time we see something get huge for rugby league, it is a good thing. And I think that when we see people attacking these these moves to make something successful in the game, I think what we're seeing is maybe short-sightedness or jealousy or something. I don't know, because it, isn't it all supposed to be good for rugby league? Isn't a big RNRL better for rugby league? Isn't a bigger state of origin better for rugby league? Isn't a bigger test footy better for rugby league? Like the more, you know, bigger women's rugby league is better for rugby league. At no point should you be looking at anything and saying, you know what, if we just, if we downsize the NRL, if we downsize that, it would be good for rugby league. It's like, what are you fucking talking about? That makes no sense whatsoever. And talking about the focus, like, that everyone loves watching State of Origin, somehow that's a bad thing. Why? People have got their eyeballs stuck on rugby league. Isn't that a good thing? Like, I don't care what rugby league they're watching. I don't care if it was some... Like, if the biggest game in the rugby league world was Toulouse versus the Catalan Dragons, I'd be like, man, let's hope it gets bigger and better. If that's the weird thing that the entire world wants to focus on... Let's well, let's all focus on it. Let's make it the biggest we can. Play it in the biggest stadiums we can. Like it doesn't matter as long as rugby league is getting bigger and better, and more widely watched and more widely accepted. That's what we should be aiming for. And I don't care what vehicle it is that gets in there. You know, I don't care what the Trojan horse is painted in, whether it's in international colours, club colours, or state colours. You know, county colour. I don't give a shit. But get people watching rugby league. That's the main thing. And I don't understand those people that try to attack like 
the success of State of Origin, which generates so much money for the game, or the success of NRL clubs, which is, I mean, that the NRL is now this billion-dollar competition. Like, why is it bad for rugby league to have this billion-dollar sporting competition? Shouldn't we all be aiming for that? Isn't that the aim of Super League? Isn't that the aim of everyone? I don't understand the attacks on successful things in rugby league. It's it's kind of weird to me. Um, I get it if something is uh, poorly run or like that. You look at that that uh, England playing an All Stars team, which they make up. Like that's silly. You know, that's just silly. I think that the the thing. I think back to Yorkshire playing Yankee uh, Lancashire. Sorry. Uh, Yankeeshire, <laughs> Yorkshire playing Lancashire, and you know they tried to make their own origin with that. It didn't quite stick, and I was sad that it didn't stick. But for whatever reason, it just didn't capture it. It just didn't capture whatever it is you've got to capture to get people involved. It it just didn't have that extra thing. I wish it did, but it didn't. Um, but I would love to have seen that get bigger. Um. I think that for, say, the Northern Hemisphere, they should be geared toward, towards more international football because I just think it's easier for them to play international football. You know, for most of the... I mean, you look at Wales, Ireland, England, Scotland, they don't have to travel far to play one another. France doesn't even have to travel that far, to be honest with you. But we need to grow everything. We need to grow absolutely everything. We need to grow touch football. Just get people involved in rugby league. And to attack one thing over the other, I think it's just silly. And it's not needed. And I think it's people need to start rethinking the way they look at football like that. Anyway, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the uh, representative round. I thought it was really cool. I know that there's they've said that they're not bringing it back next year because of the new broadcasting arrangements and stuff. Hopefully they can sort that out. I would love them to sort that out. But if we don't have representative rounds like this, um, hopefully it is there's something done with the end of this season. And I would like to see as many different games with many different teams just... Yeah, like how cool would it be next year if we had a Pacific Nations Cup or something with Australia, New Zealand, Tonga, Samoa? It'd just be so cool. Like all of those teams, just get them together. Because look, let's be fair. This is where this is the part of the world where rugby league is really thriving at the moment, and I think we need to really just keep pushing that forward and and doing what we can in this area of the world and hopefully um, everyone else gets their act together and does it in their areas of the world as well. Anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, The next episode will probably be our preview for the upcoming NRL round and uh, we're going to try and get more episodes out uh, more frequently um, as the season sort of ramps up. And then obviously we head into State of Origin 3. I'll try and get a few guests in as well coming up in the next few weeks. I know I've been a little bit slack about that. Anyway, thank you for listening. And tell your friends to follow the podcast. Check out my Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash League Freak. Check out leaguefreak.com. Check out rugbyleagueproject.org. Check out furgonthefreak.com. And then check out rugbyleaguepodcastingnetwork.com as well. You'll love all of those websites. They're highly recommended by me because I own all of them except one. Um, Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.